Hello, and welcome to the Court of Owlets podcast. I'm back from my battle against Pollen, and I'm Muse, and I'm here with Joe. Hello. And V. Hi. So we are a comic podcast that uploads weekly. You can check the show notes for which comics we'll be covering this week and their times, so you can skip over those titles if it's something you haven't read yet or aren't really interested in reading. So to start off, we're going to be covering comics from our long box. Basically, we're going to be covering any Trinity titles and the Justice League titles, and I will be covering Marvel stories. But this week is a little special. Mostly going to be covering Batman issue number 90 because Tinian decided to just throw plot at us, and it was wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. Uh, Finally, I know. And some amazing art by Jorge Jimenez. Like, I'm really my happy God, this is Jimenez. I missed it so much. I know it's only been like three issues of Justice League, but ugh, I missed it. We'll let B lead us with that because that is mainly she her title. Is our Gothamite. <laughs> yes. Hey, I'm also a bit of a Gothamite. I know. But I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> chilling in Marvel right now, so. You're trying to keep him honest. <laughs> you do not get Muse's money if you do not provide <laughs> Muse with entertainment. Keep that in mind, DC. <laughs> yeah, but they, they really got me with Batman. Tinian's just... It just knocked it out oh. of the park so far. Tinian's finally given us what we he's been leading into, and we were not disappointed at all, which I'm super happy about that. Like, it could have been a massive letdown of a story. It could have been like, really, right. this, this is where yeah. you're going. But no, it just... <sighs> all right, so kind of going off of what we knew was going to happen last week with the cliffhanger of Catwoman saying, Batman, I need to tell you something. Something like that. She um has to reveal the whole plot behind everything that's been going on in Gotham. And I was expecting a flashback. I was expecting a criminal mastermind who gets everybody together. I was expecting them to turn on him and kill him and for him to come back for revenge. Honestly, it's pretty close to what we've got, but it was delivered in such a different way than what I think we were expecting. Certainly what I was expecting. Like, I was expecting him to kind of be kind of going along with how he's been doing it with, like, plotting, sort of, like, sneaky way of delivering information, Mm -hmm. right? Where he's like, I'll give you this, but not all of it because I want you to to keep wanting more. (laughs) Which I don't think was working for him because the information he was giving us was not intriguing and the information he was keeping did not have a lot of promise honestly that's a very bendis tactic too because if you remember like that's what i would complain about all the time when i was reading his superman run in the beginning mm-hmm. it's like you had all this dialogue and at the very last page it would be like that teaser of like oh ho, ho, ho like wait till next month and i was definitely getting those vibes on this which super disappointed me because as we all know tinian can really crank out some nice stuff Mm-hmm. But this yeah. like completely changed the game. We are introduced first of all with a boat that takes you to Tartarus, or at least some <laughs> version of it. There's magic yeah. right off the bat, which helps because if they were gonna try to tell me that drugs were making these people <laughs> I was going to be like, no, I cannot follow you there. <laughs> the water supply in Gotham is pretty poisonous. What's but causing it's them not again? That bad. Aren't they like robots? Mm-mm, they're dead people. They're just dead people. They're just zombies. Okay. He's dead. Yeah. So he's like possessing them and we get this bandaged figure and I'm going to be like the least praise filled person out of the three of us because like I am always hypercritical. However, I can say I absolutely love this. I have liked none of Tinian's original characters or inventions 
thus far. Yeah, I mean, we've all talked about it at good length the past couple episodes, too, with that stuff. So far, he's created, I think, four characters, right? You have Mr. Teeth, you have Gunsmith, you have The Designer, and Punchline. Mm -hmm. We don't know much about Punchline really yet, so verdict's out in her. Here's the thing. I didn't really care about the characters so far, and I really absolutely hate the designer's design. I hate his army fatigues mixed with his his Mm -hmm. other discordant It's just very weird. Like, a guy that's supposed to be, like, this most famous thief that he's a myth, but he's dressed up like this, like, elegant king all the time. Really weird, Mm -hmm. especially with a lot of the Greek mythology references he's got going on with Tartarus House Mm -hmm. and the The zombie saying, like, River Sticks, like, oh, I'm the fairy man, which I I enjoyed Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. those references, but he has nothing to do with it design-wise. Though, I can't remember if it was 90 or if it was 89, but when they were trying to find Nygma, his code was Sphinx. Another thing mm. referencing to mythology. So this guy's got a Greek yeah. mythology shtick going on. I was thinking that maybe it was going to be like a secret partnership with Maxi Zeus or something like that. <laughs> oh. That would have been interesting. But. Yeah. He's, um, he, he's, okay, so design-wise, I'm just going to say, like, he was mm-hmm. terrible design-wise. But his his concept, the idea of this eternal Moriarty, who yep. not only needs to defeat his hero, but completely break him and has like that's interesting yeah i like that costuming choices not the best really really bad stinky as some might say (laughs) but evil villain who cannot be defeated and who absolutely grinds his enemies into dust and i liked how catwoman described him as this craftsman who was helping each of them hone their craft so kind of to give it an overall summary of what we just read catwoman's flashback as she describes it to batman is she was summoned along with Joker, Penguin, and the Riddler to go hang out with this urban legend, this designer who's done all these crazy capers and crimes. Basically, the Napoleon of crime. <laughs> and they find out he's a magic man, and he's also very smart and cunning and interesting. And she is describing this time in Gotham right after the crime lords had been defeated by Batman, but right before things started to get serious. Like at that point, it was still like colorful caped criminals this is like probably the 90s of comics based off of her outfit and the fact that it was tim in the flashback and uh, can i just say like those were probably one of the main things i liked about this issue was just like having that 90s flashback and seeing those costumes again because that's my favorite adaptation of catwoman oh the chuck dixon yeah and also getting to see like batman and tim like just ah, and then again, like Jimenez's art, putting all that together, it's amazing. She looked way better in that outfit than that current one being drawn for Batman. I'm sorry, she's just perfectly sleek, perfectly just no armpits visible. No armpits visible. <laughs> yeah, no, and she looked like she was having a great time. She's always smiling. She's always bouncing around, having a blast. And that's what I love too. I remember her. Because, like, that one Catwoman comic that I always remember where she went to that island and she showed, like, all these different emotions, like, in just a span of, like, a couple pages. And, like, getting to see that again as she's, like, hanging out with the Penguin and Riddler. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, oh, so good. And the way Tinian, like, sort of covers it, he's like, well, back then we were having fun. And mm-hmm. it's not like now everything's so serious. <laughs> yeah. Which is also a funny poke at the fact that the comics in the 90s were a little more lighthearted and more character-driven <laughs> compared to 
this stuff now is like always just like un- like unnecessarily dark and gritty. Like I mean, the '90s had some pretty gritty. Okay, stuff. they had some pretty. I mean, do we remember Deathwing and oh, Azrael Batman? Okay, true, but and the nothing death is... of Superman, leather still, jacket like... wearing Wonder Woman, <laughs> Parallax was... Green Lantern. There was still a lot, but it wasn't gritty like it wasn't unnecessarily gritty it hit you emotionally mm-hmm. all of these events did in such a way that made it seem like there was no hope instead of like i'm just gonna be gritty dark <laughs> batman and stand on a like on top of this building and stare out because i'm depressed and just and this might be a hot take but it kind of like felt like the author was trying to tell you things from the character's point of view whereas now a lot of times it feels like the author is standing back with us in the mm-hmm. audience and going hmm weirdo huh yeah. <laughs> hey well, if you're over here who's driving the ship get back over there <laughs> <laughs> It's just funny, too, because, like, this is Tinian's second call-out about how comics mm-hmm. are nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I guess yeah. that is pretty meta. I was just reading out. it as, like, a nice way of trying to explain mm-hmm. why they're this way. Because the last one was the one that me and V spoke about last week with the Year of the Villain Hell Arisen, when he had Joker saying how everything's, like, way out of proportions and <laughs> it's not supposed to be this way. <laughs> Yeah, we're taking away the simple elements that make the story work mm-hmm. and trying to make them more sort of eye-catching and sort of epic, even yeah. if it costs us the original charm. Which was really weird that he went that meta, but I guess if you're going to have anyone do it, it might as well be the Joker. But yeah, so they get to the island, and he has basically a think tank. He has them over for dinner, he tells them about his crimes, he wows them, and then he has them each in his office, and he's like, alright, what's the biggest crime you can think of? And they tell him, and he's like, alright, this is how Batman's going to defeat you. This is how you need to be if you, like, had 20 moves ahead of him. And they were all glowing and excited, they're like, (laughs) our craft, it's being honed, until Joker, who went last. I guess he said some stuff uh, back and forth, and it freaked the designer out so bad, he decided to murder them all. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I thought that was a really interesting turn. I wasn't expecting that, that the the designer was actually trying to save humanity from the Joker. And then the Joker was just so dark and chaotic, but he still had that, that Mark Hamill tone to his voice. I know, and honestly, like, I am so glad that Tinian is nailing this, like, Joker tone, Mm -hmm. because I was so concerned with that. Like, yeah, like, the epilogues, like, you see a little bit here and there in his first two Batman issues, but Year of the Villain, like, really gave him, like, that Joker voice, and, ugh, it really does bring me back to, like, 90s Batman. It is just so good, which is also a little bit concerning, because if somebody can nail the Joker's voice that well it means they're a good writer joe it doesn't mean he's going to kill people let's hope so (laughs) i mean he does have two fractured wrists right now so he can't do much damage (laughs) who fractured them is the real question i think he 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 fractured them himself like an idiot but that's what the joker would say i'm (laughs) starting to turn on to joe's side he's just laughing off the pain (laughs) oh my god but speaking of Joker's little think tank, I like how Catwoman mentions the fact that Joker spent way more time in there than yeah. either her, Penguin, and Nigma mm-hmm. combined. And I'm interested to see like what he actually told the designer that made him 
flip because knowing Tinian, that is actually going to come to light. I like, think I, it's it, just one of those things where like they kind of described it in the year of the villain number three, where the Joker just comes up with like these outrageous things like you're trying to help this twisted mind like kind of see like a clear path but he's gonna keep continuously straying away from that because he wants to do like these ridiculous things and i think his ultimate crime would be essentially just mass genocide if you think about it like mm-hmm. there's no control there's no end selena it ends with biggest heist enigma ends with like the best riddle mm-hmm. penguin pretty much just ends with him being happy and content in his as little like yeah as a mayor like he wants power nigma wants i don't even know what nigma would want wants to be. to be the smartest person and to be that was you know it. proven that he can't be outsmarted he wanted so they learn. all at least have a bit of like a cap like this is mm-hmm. this is their ultimate goal joker's just to beat batman to continue to beat batman i think is his goal just like constant fighting like i want to just play with batman until the end yeah i think the word catwoman used was adaptive yeah and i think Mm -hmm. that's the scariest thing about the joker is that he could probably survive in any climate and i find that people with a good sense of humor usually can Mm -hmm. but he is like you know humor on steroids where he finds nihilism funny so even if he's not causing like the destruction of everything he is at least having a good time in the process so the way i see it happening is if they do reveal it It's going to lead into the next big arc with, like, I think it was hinted that the Joker's going to reveal Batman's identity, but in a spectacular way. Uh, With that board, I freaked out on that last page when they showed Joker, like, talking to, I can't think of his new Harley Quinn. All I can think is calling- Punchline. Because I'm like, she's Candy from Holy Musical Batman. I'm sorry. Just without the voice so far. Yeah, without the (laughs) voice. Um, But seeing that, it it really hit home that how long has Joker known about this? That he had all of the Robins planned out, including Barbara. And you're like, ah. But that's also kind of in the, um, what is it, the Harley Quinn TV show, where the identity of Batman isn't something that he just wanted to expose. You know, he could have done that at any time. It's he's just loved the back and forth between him and Batman. He just loved their dynamic so much that his identity didn't matter. But I guess now this might be a part of that master plan that he worked out with the designer and he's finally getting to that point. So but speaking of I'd have mentioned it last week, but I really he wrote the Joker's voice really well, but he's also been writing Harley pretty well as well. I like her portrayal in Batman just kind of I'm here. I'm, I'm Harley. I'm still confused about her role. I'm a little confused as well, but the writing for her, like her interactions between Batman and Catwoman, I enjoy the little moments. I'm still kind of confused why she is here. Yeah. She she did say like, oh, this has nothing to do with Mr. J. I don't know why I'm here, but I get to play with drones. And that was like the last issue. And you're like, okay. okay. I'm just so confused (laughs) still because like, I know that in Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy miniseries, like she said that she wanted to become a good guy and she's trying to become a good guy. And she's been an anti-hero for the good past couple of years or so now. But I still didn't know like she was kind of like stray away, but working with Batman from time to time, kind of like how Jason Todd does. So I'm still very confused about that. And it's all, you know, I haven't read every Harley Quinn thing there is. So I don't really know her tone. 
Mm, I don't know. She's confusing. I feel like she has a very specific character, Mm -hmm. but people do sort of give it different tinges of color to, like, match certain... Because, like, in the last issue, she was much more serious than she was jokey. This one, she seems more jokey. She seems a little more jokey. She was still kind of jokey in the last issue as well, Mm -hmm. where she was like, I just happen to be here. I'm just gonna hit these guys with my mallet. Whack! Like, do you need, like, just pretty much being there to kind of help Catwoman? Like, I'll help you out in a pinch. You're my friend. Like, okay. I have one gripe, and it's not with her characterization, even though, like, she was definitely giving me diva vibes from Overwatch. She kind of was. I don't care what's happening, Mr. B. I don't know what she's saying. Oh, she was calling him Mr. D. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, her whole thing was, she was like, which, oh, that kind of annoyed me too, because I was like, isn't that, like, her nickname for Joker? It doesn't mean she just uses it on everyone. She does. They, that, they try to throw it in all the time. Anyways, this is a little thing. Jimenez, when he does a good job, he does a great job. But he does not always pay attention to proportions, so sometimes... And this used to be all the time. This is why when I first saw him and started reading him, I didn't like his art. And, like, only after he started drawing, like, a lot, a lot, and I started to see him everywhere, and I started to, like, recognize it and really enjoy those crisp black pools of Mm -hmm. ink, I was like, this is really growing on me. I like it a lot, but, like, sometimes his proportions are so crazy. And, like, the first view of, like, Harley Quinn, her head is so small. I was, like, so distracted. (laughs) It took me, like, two pages to get past it, and by that time, she's gone. I was like, oh, okay, right, back. I'm back on track. I'm immersed in the story. And then, like, I think he did one other one, like, further on. I think when Catwoman has her, her paws, like, cupped around her, her chin, like, in a really mm-hmm. awkward way. Yeah, I was, yeah. like, pulled right out again. <laughs> but those were the only art gripes. Like, the art felt so good to read. It was so good. It was, like, refreshing in a way to see that. Mm-hmm. Then again, it is a nice break from Gillian March. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. He was going to grow it on me. I was enjoying all of it. It was like a Where's Waldo of crotches. I don't know. It's like just one of those for me is because like I love his art because I've read it throughout Justice League. So I'm so used to it. So like I see that and I have like the same reaction I have with like Francis Manipal or David Marquez. I'm just like, yes, (laughs) give me that. I'm happy that Jimenez was the artist on this one because there was a lot of shots in between the flashbacks where Catwoman's kind of narrating to Batman, mm-hmm. where it seems like a very intimate moment, like just more of like an emotionally intimate moment of her really bearing everything out to him being like, I'm sorry, I lied to you about all of this. Like, I want us to be on the same page. I didn't mean to hide this from you. This was just a thing that happened and we completely ignored it. It would have pulled you out seeing Alien March's just the curves of Catwoman just standing there like all like weirdly sexual. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, uh, oh, there were so many, like, panels in this issue that were like, oh, March would have ruined this. You could this. have had, like, a whole panel with, like, just her boobs and then, like, a little um, word bubble coming out from the... The word bubble? And just being like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but Jimenez's art definitely time. captured it better and it made it softer. Because mm-hmm. I felt for Catwoman. Um, which is why yeah. before she talked about the thing, she was like, I have to put you in perspective of where I was at the time and where Gotham was. Plus like, the colors with uh, Jimenez art, it's so like bright and vibrant and it really did fit that flashback the way that was. Selena described it. I forgot who did the colors. Whoever they were, great, great yeah, job. Because it, it really just fit that description that Selena said about, you know, back in that time, you know, all you needed was the caped crusader and just these the costumes to pull and... off these capers. 
Yeah. It adds to that fun. And she was also like excusing it by saying like, "Oh, back then you didn't pull your, you pulled your punches because you were trying to be a good role model mm-hmm. for the kid, and you were just being like so sweet, and we knew that you weren't any real danger to us, so it kind of gave us, like <laughs> free reign, which is not great." And but it was okay. funny too because like when she was in the office with the designer, and she was saying how like you know you you could tell like how excited she was like talking about these things and even commenting about the designer's attitude that the designer seemed like very friendly and like willing to work with them and like showing them all these different scenarios of what could happen mm-hmm. yeah and he did say when he first brought them in like that he had been watching them with like a lot of fondness he really mm-hmm. he really had some sort of personal connection to them in through their crimes and just seeing like that one panel where selena's walking out of the designer's office and you just see her with like her hands on her head where she she has like her mouth open like oh my god like i can't believe this like when they're all like just first expressing how happy they are mm-hmm. i don't know it's like one of my favorite panels in there because like you see them like having fun and like talking and stuff like that you never really see that mm-hmm. also another thing to add to the fact that they're like oh we didn't really think much of it was the fact that selena's like we mentioned before like their their biggest thing the ultimate goal that they would all reach i don't think would have really truly hurt anyone to the scale that most of them done selena unfortunately yes would wipe out bruce wayne's entire fortune no civilian casualties no deaths that we know of yeah Yeah. uh penguin dude just wants to be mayor which again is another reference to the batman movies oh my god yes yeah, he watched a lot of TV as a kid, Tinian did. He's a lot of his influences in our TV. But here's the thing I want to point out. The Penguin's plan did involve using several assassins. So he was basically going to kill the entire mm-hmm. government. Yeah, but I don't think they were as dangerous as they currently are or as, like, the Joker was. Like, a lot of this was kind of, like, harmless fun to them like okay except for penguin we don't know much about nigma and then joker came in and just nigma's not much of a killer no nigma Mm -mm. and he's more about the planning and the scheming yeah if there's collateral damage oops well yeah i mean depends how you write him too because nigma's always been closer to like the central point with catwoman as opposed to like a lot of the unhinged villains like he's always sort of had himself like contained enough that he can sort of switch sides if he needs to because he's Mm -hmm. not that far over the line into evil he's a little more adaptable in that sense too yeah like he he, his main goal is to stay alive yeah him catwoman ivy kind of the ones that can really swing a bit more yeah although ivy yeah i mean the way that people have been writing her recently they've been trying yeah definitely yeah she does have her moments though where she does get aggressive yeah, she's she's crazy homicidal. Like, she does mm-hmm. not care if she kills people. But Riddler's always sort of cared a little bit. Like, he's... Because dead people don't appreciate him. And yeah. And he no. needs to be appreciated. And what... The spotlight needs to be on him. Yeah. If they're, yeah. If Only dead, on him. They can't be holding that spotlight up, you see. Like, I want to say, like, the most that he would go is, like, you know, he builds a labyrinth and, you know, he's not going to offer food and water and stuff like that. So if they get stuck in there forever, so be it. They end up dying in the labyrinth. Or he does tries to send like riddles out to batman about like bombs or something set throughout gotham most of the times they're in like abandoned buildings and or like ace chemicals and it might be like oh well really bad fire some potential collateral stuff but usually it's like oh no one would have died in that batman oh but you were making a point about how that was contrasting those villains to i think joker definitely yeah comparing them to joker 
And, like, you know, like, the other aggressive ones out of, like, the Gotham rogues, like, you know, Killer Croc, Mr. Freeze. Well, he didn't yep. Scarface him. and all them. I think he was just no. inviting the people who had the most elaborate planning ability. Yeah. Yeah, Croc's not gonna plan. No, Scarface isn't gonna plan. Freeze! Freeze a little bit. Harvey, somewhat. Harvey's another one that you you never know how it's Mm-mm. gonna go down. He's so unpredictable with the, the coin flip, so it's like... Yeah, like his his plans usually aren't that elaborate. The thing about Harvey Dent and uh, what's his name Freeze. The thing with those two is they're not driven by the joy of it. They don't enjoy the game. They are tortured monsters. <laughs> so <laughs> you would not invite them to your think tank. <laughs> no. Yeah. So actually, he did pick the the four biggest planners in Gotham. That would they would have been great crime family. Oh yeah. They'd wanted. Mm-hmm. Oh well, <laughs> he he miscalculated. It's really the designer's fault that this all turned out the way it did. I so mean, he shouldn't be getting revenge yes. on anyone. <laughs> Secretly, I think it's the Joker playing a big gag in a designer type way to haunt his maybe potential. We'll we'll, we'll see. His uh, punchline was at the f- like at the grave, I think, where yeah. Catwoman and Harley were. I'm pretty certain. I don't remember. She was watching somebody from bushes and then report it back but i, I can't remember she when. could have been there like far off i don't remember exactly because she was I like definitely... using little binoculars in like the bushes and all you see is kind of her cheek with the um the paint on it you know with her little paint on it and that was really about it with her kind of reporting to joker and then you get switches to that page with him and his corkboard of sidekicks Is the Joker, was the Joker like goofing or was he, did he actually bring a dead Joker from another dimension, plant him there and then bring him back to life somehow? It was a goon. Harley knew who he was and it was a little sweet because she was like, oh yeah, that was such and such. He used to walk Bud and Lou for me. Yeah, he was used as a decoy. And you're like, oh. (laughs) Yikes. Could tell like harley wasn't just like kind of writing it off but she sort of was but at the same time with her saying like yeah kind of feel bad for the guy kind of shows she's really starting to change a little bit because she's feeling for a goon that she just killed for i don't know man she's been an anti-hero for years now i think yeah. she should have developed empathy at some point she, she's a little bit <laughs> she's in the situation the she should have turned that corner years ago i don't <laughs> it's just the sympathy and empathy only goes for certain people I so well, well, well poor goon poor goon yeah so it's not like a random joker from another dimension so yeah. Well, thank you for clearing that up. I could not remember what I'd seen. thought it was a joker. All right, well, good. So he's alive. He's doing all this stuff. And I bet the designer's still dead. Well, that's what they're freaking out about. They're like, if he's alive, like, he's going to come after every single one of us because of what the joker did, which is, you know, try to kill him. Because when they first went into the Tartarus house, they had to hand over all their weapons. And then joker's like, oh, I forgot one. Yeah. You can have it, and then shoots him. Yeah, and he's like, I saved you all. And it's like, well... <laughs> I did love that. They're like, all right, we have to destroy the evidence. And they're all, like, working together. Like, Penguin and Riddler are setting the place on fire. And then, like, the description of what Selena was saying about the Joker, how, like, she just saw it right in that moment, just how evil and what the Joker is capable of doing. Mm-hmm. Which I think really elevates this from the typical, like, basically this plot is, I know what you did last summer. 
So it's kind of elevating mm-hmm. it a little bit by saying, you know what, this could actually be the Joker. This could be the de- designer still dead, or alternatively, the Joker is using the designer in some way mm-hmm. and he dragged into a Lazarus pit. Maybe the designer had a friend, but I'm still gonna put my five cents down on the Joker. I'm thinking that maybe the Joker used whatever the designer did to like have those corpses animate. So he animated the designer's corpse in the same way. So like all the gas and all the Ooh. weird messages and stuff, that's actually Honestly, the Joker. Though, it wouldn't be that hard to fake the designer because No. He you just can only a, even see his face. Yeah, he had a bandaged face with a mm-hmm. logo on it and a bunch of gaudy clothes. Like you could get those. Yeah. Ones. Cape, camouflage, military medals, and a giant sword. Boom. Designer. <laughs> could just get hushed to fill in. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. It it could turn out to be a really great. This one had the most promise of any of his stories oh, so yeah. far in this run. So I'm mm-hmm. actually really excited now to read it. I'm a little upset that it has taken him this long to get here. There was so much kind of running after Merlin, Teshroke, Kesher, and the rest of them. You could have shortened that just a little bit. I think there was too much focused on that. I mean, it was definitely more of like just like the slow world building. Yeah. So it was like, you know, he's introducing his new characters. He's showing like what's going on in Gotham. So like I got what he was doing. I wasn't really a fan of it just because, I don't know, something about the tone with how it was going, which is very like... Eh, one note yeah it was boring and i don't care about his two new villains i don't care about them the whole mr teeth thing i was like i'm so i was so confused by why is this man intimidating he's not intimidating gunsmith just literally reminds me of like the vigilante guy oh justice league (laughs) that's literally what he reminds me of he's like sports master but more yeah just guns more guns and Terrorism. American. Yeah. They're just generics, assassins for us to follow. And it, you didn't really want to follow yeah. them. You don't care if Batman catches them. The amount of damage they were actually doing was minimal. But they're like, but just wait. It's going to be really damaging. They kept like promising it's going to be bad. And it's like, but it isn't. They literally did nothing but run away. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Didn't speak. So that You didn't see them fight. You just oh. saw them escape. The only way you could impress me with gunsmith is if it turns out he's actually the designer and he just hit himself in this (laughs) it would make sense he's got he's kind of got the attire going yeah and he's he's not showing his lower half of his face bandana you don't know yeah he's actually also mr teeth yes they were in the same (laughs) shop together but secretly i mean if superman and clark kent can do it i think mr (laughs) teeth can do it (laughs) oh gosh so that was a good book. I enjoyed it a lot. I was not expecting to. I just I have to give it to Tinian. The writing's really good. You mm. should never design characters again. No, I'm <laughs> well, it was like that. No, no, no. That You'll tweet do better next from time, uh, from Charles Zdarsky. That was really. Oh my gosh, that was a nice little funny call out there to his designs. Yeah, that was like actually the first time I've laughed at a Tom King tweet. Honestly, he was like. There are upsides of not writing for Batman anymore. Then it just shows Chip Zdarsky like, hey, how about this? How about, what was it, she, uh, Woman Cat or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh my gosh. What, an, what a nuisance. It's like Bat-Human or something like Chip that. Chip Zdarsky does write really good stories too sometimes. He does. Yeah. I mean, he is currently writing X-Men Fantastic Four, and it's pretty good. Oh my god, it's great. Oh yeah, I meant to read that, and I have not. 
So yeah, that was their book. So this week we had two black labels come out, Daphne Byrne number five and The Strange Adventures number one by Tom Keen and Mitch Gerard. Can I just say, so I just read that today and it wasn't bad, That's kind of which was really shocked. It was full sentences. Tom Keen is learning to speak in full sentences again? No ellipses, <gasps> yes. full sentences. The only things I will say is that you have flashbacks and present time happening at the same time, like in the story, so it's constantly flopping back and forth, so it does get a little bit confusing, and I can't tell if the woman that he's with on Earth is also his wife from Ran. Mm. They look the same, but she doesn't have like the Iranian like facial marks and stuff. So it was a little bit confusing if he was cheating on his wife. Why was it black label? Still have yet to really be determined. There was just like one sex panel that I saw that I was like, ah, oh, there's the black label rating right there. <laughs> <laughs> just one sex panel. <laughs> It's just a funny sentence. It could have just been in a regular comic. One sex panel. All right. Well, good for you, Tom Keen. Finally get to write some, I assume, more romance. It's uh, 12 issues, so yeah. Good. There'll be romance. I will not be reading it, but I will trust your instincts that it is good. I'll let you know, because I was actually entertained enough to read the second issue. Nice. Shocking, I know. Oh, and then there's that Genlock number five. Which I have not looked into yet. Justice League 42. Which was good. Oh, okay. Wow, I mean, like positives. Yeah, I mean, I like Justice League. I like Robert Venditti's writing. Oh, that's Robert Venditti, that's right. Um, what about Justice League Odyssey, huh? Did you read number 19 of Justice League I Odyssey? I did, and oh it's good. I mean, like, it's a little, it's getting a little bit more convoluted now, but it was still good. I liked it. Still has my girl, Jessica. Yeah, huh? She's nice. still doing fine. Dexter is doing well as also. Um, Good kitty. <laughs> my fave. Lois Lane number nine, I heard, delved into politics real hard. Yeah, just a bit. I don't know. I'm not... I haven't really been a fan of Greg Rucka's uh, writing so far with Lois Lane. It's, it's another one that feels very, like, one note, but it's also just a very dragged out note. <laughs> There's just so much wording that you just get lost in oh, everything yeah, and so you don't know like what to follow and because there's so much like it you just really can't remember like what happened before how are we here right now goodness so he's getting worse is what you're saying yeah i mean he's got three more issues before it's done so and they have to bury lois lane in the vault because nobody (sighs) bought her book although those covers a lot of them are real good i know they are good um and the superman giant i still need to read the first one that's right. It's still on my desk, I know. Well, that was fun. I love when you read everything on the, the shelf so that we can just get, like, your play It's my job. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh-huh. Totally your job. <laughs> All right. So on that note, Joe, if you don't mind reading out for us this week's Marvel titles... This isn't all of them, it's definitely some of them. So you have Excalibur number eight, you have Marauders number nine, which was interesting. It was okay i think it was more of like a stepping stone issue they got yellow jacket out of pyro's head and that was pretty (laughs) much the issue that was it a lot of it was illusions within illusions within illusions it was so weird it was so weird and so trippy yeah but and then we have marvel number one which is actually a story from alex ross it's basically an anthology of characters that he wanted to kind of get highlighted which he originally brought up like 30 years ago apparently 
So this mm-hmm. is um, more of that. And he brought on a couple uh, different writers and artists to help him with this story. Yeah, I was planning on reading it, but then time got away from me and it didn't. I love Alex Ross's work, but I wasn't going to mm. pick this one up. And then we also have Spider-Man Noir, which was amazing. I loved it. I never read Spider-Man Noir before. It has that like good 30s, 40s feel to it. You can slightly mentally hear like the slow jazz tones and the, the nighttime rain as you're reading it. Can Ugh. you hear it in Nicolas Cage's voice? You can. <laughs> You can hear it in his voice, or you can just hear it in, like, that 1930s radio person's voice with all, the way that they all talk, or all the mobsters and oh, stuff like that. Gosh. Oh, it's so good. They use the word mooks. Yes! <laughs> like, hey, oh, your goodness. mooks, I'll take you all on. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I want one narrated just by Joe and his, like, Brooklyn accent. Oh, I could do that. <laughs> Story time with Joe. There we go. <laughs> and then we had 2020 Rescue number one. So this is more going off of that 2020 title that Marvel mm-hmm. is doing. You had Iron Man 2020, which was Tony Stark's half-brother, who's now Iron Man. And Rescue is Pepper Potts. She has the same mm-hmm. uh, Iron Man outfit from uh, Endgame. Which was, I think, her original outfit as well or they just kind of maybe updated it i didn't read it because i'm not an iron man fan and i don't really i don't hate iron man or pepper or anything i saw their covers and they look gorgeous oh my gosh they're beautiful i didn't read it because i hated iron man 2020 and that i too. didn't want to continue anything following that giant mess Alrighty then so thank you guys for listening to part one stay tuned for a word from our sponsor and we'll be right back with more of this week's comics have you ever just wanted to escape a cruel world ruled by humanity? Do you long for the peaceful and fruitful days of Genosha? Then come to the island paradise of Krakoa, where all mutants are accepted and where you will never have to die. If you've already died, then no worries. You always have a chance to come back to life. This sentient mutant island welcomes all, unless you're human because you are beneath our superiority. Krakoa, where we are all mutants. Hello, and welcome back to part two. This is where we cover all the titles in our short box from DC, Marvel, and Image, and everything in between at that point. So, oh goodness, we've got more comics to talk about with you guys. But we'll start with the big one on the list right now, Flash issue number 750. And I'll let Joe talk about that. Okay, so this was a milestone issue for The Flash, number 750, following also Wonder Woman 750. So this one, like the other ones, it's a compilation of a couple mini stories. Wasn't as many as Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman had like 12, I think. This one only had five or six. Oh. And Joshua Williamson wrote two of them. Oh. And... (laughs) Like, one of them I get because he's the current writer for Flash, and so he has to put the story in that's continuing the actual plotline of the run. And then Jeff Johns had a story with Scott Collins, which I wasn't a fan of. Followed Leonard Snart, and he saved the liquor store. (laughs) He got framed for the robbing of the liquor store. (laughs) That's so smart! So he froze the cops and the cops' helicopter just to make sure that he got back to his apartment in time for the third quarter of the hockey game. Oh, no. 
But what was great about that was Flash in that story was Wally. So he, so the next day he's reading the newspaper and he sees that headline and like he's there at breakfast with Linda and his kids. So like that was nice. That I like the actual story itself. Eh. So the first story, which is the main run, was written by Joshua Williamson with the art by Rafa Sandoval. It starts with a man explaining how the Flash saved his life in more ways than one. This whole story was basically a compilation of different stories of people interviewed by Iris, basically just trying to get a feel in Central City of how the Flash has touched their lives. So the beginning guy, he was down on his luck. He had no job. He was going to go rob a bank. And as soon as he goes into this bank, he has second thoughts. And as soon as he's just about to walk away, Heatwave shows up and he goes to rob the bank. And so now he's just stuck in this and Flash comes, beats Heatwave. And then next thing he knows is that he's standing in front of the Central City Career Center and his gun is missing. Aww. Aww. That's and then he also says how like if it wasn't for the Flash bringing him there, he also would have never met his wife. Oh, it's so touching! Right? Like, it was so cute. And then you also have, like, this little girl talking about her school trip to the zoo, and a gorilla must have escaped from the cages, and it was a talking gorilla. And then the Flash showed up to help the gorilla get back to his cage, and then the Flash got them all ice cream. So it's a two-page spread, and in the two pages, it's all drawn in, like, the little kid style. Oh! Yeah, so you see, like, the monkey, and you see him behind bars. You see the Flash fighting him, and Flash giving all of them ice cream. It was all very cute. And while this is going on to continue, like, the main plot, Barry, who in the Flash run took a year off from the CCPD to just be the Flash full-time, Captain Singh calls him onto this crime scene, trying to figure out who did it. Barry realizes that it's the Rainbow Raider. So while he has the captain look at the evidence, Flash zooms over, arrests Rainbow Raider, drops him off in the PD, then goes back to the CSI lab. And then the captain's like, oh yeah, you're right. This is the Rainbow Raider. We have to go get him. Actually, Flash just dropped him off a couple seconds ago. So all that happens, and then Barry finds Iris's notebook, he starts reading all these other stories about how the Flash touched lives of these other people in Central City. And basically, they were all saying how he inspired them. He's a hero. He, they love him. They su- just support him. They are so grateful to be in the city with him, even if some of them have never even met him before. But they are happy enough to know that he's there. And it's just like all like very touching stuff. And then, of course, it all gets ruined because Godspeed shows up and be- drags Barry to this new villain called Paradox. And Paradox tells Godspeed that he needs to kill the Flash because the Flash has created too many crises and altered reality so many times that he needs to be stopped. And in the last Flash issue, Paradox was created by such an event that he actually got trapped in not the Speed Force, but some weird dimension along with a couple other people. But the other people couldn't last there, but this guy Paradox did. And he was a guy that had a wife, he had kids, he had a family like all this stuff and then basically he blames the flash for everything and now he has the power to do something about it 
that was story one. You had another story by Francis Manipal and Brian Pucoletto. The art was by Manipal, which I loved very much. Basically, Barry was late for a coffee date with Iris. And Iris explains to him that she understands, you know, he's the Flash. He can't be everywhere at her beck and call. Like, she knows why Barry is the Flash, but why does the Flash have to be Barry? Why couldn't it be anybody else? And so Barry has this power called Speed Mind, which allows him to look into other timelines, apparently, the span of a couple seconds, and just to get a glimpse of like other timelines where Barry Allen was not the Flash. You see Grodd as the Flash, you see Iris as the Flash. This weird one was this kid reading the New 52 Flash trade paperback, which I thought was ironic enough because Maniple helped write that one. And mm. it's like his main cover on it and everything. Shameless but, plugging. Yeah. And so this kid is like, ah, oh, man, like I wish I can get my superpowers from science. They're in the middle of like Bombville, like salt flats too. They have some device in their hand and they're tracking this thunderstorm to like, well, if the Flash can believe in science, so can I because my algorithm rhythm is working and then Barry is looking at this and he's like nice try kid and then it goes back to regular time I'm like you're just gonna let that kid die Flash (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh this took a turn (laughs) unless it was like oh these are just alternate timelines me looking means they don't happen no they do happen oh gosh these are all different timelines of things that have happened Barry you're not setting a good example for yourself. Like you were I'm thinking it's like he's in the speed mind thing, so he's not physically there. Mm-hmm. He's no. just like looking. But at the same time, like no emotional reaction. I feel like he would still be scared <laughs> shitless. <laughs> he wouldn't be excited, like, aw, she's following their dreams. Who knows if this earth has superpowers? Maybe they could die, but no, it worked for me. Maybe it really didn't occur to him. I don't know. That was that one. And then you had the things like Fourth Story, also by Joshua Williamson. But the art was from David Marquez, and it was amazing. This was a Jay Garrick Flash story. 1940, Keystone City. The story was really short. He was going up against a thinker. Reverse Flash makes a very blurry appearance, trying to give negative thoughts into Jay's minds (laughs) to... help the thinker win basically saying like no one's gonna remember you i've seen your future and then jay's like you know what fear is easy but hope is hard and then he just saves the day against the thinker and it was like a bunch of monologuing and stuff like that but you know like it was nice it's like just one of those positive stories that you would probably also see in a superman comic if it's done right (laughs) bendis but Check that one off your list, Muse. He did it. We need to have like a Court of Owlets bingo. Just <laughs> Tom King, Bendis. <laughs> oh, thank God we don't have to put money in a jar. I would be more broke than I already am. <laughs> it's coming. Keep it up, mister. <laughs> oh, no. With that Jay Garrick story, like, yes, it was very short and sweet, but ah, oh, that art was amazing. Mm-hmm. And then the last story of the comic, which was actually the epilogue for the Flash Forward miniseries, which was written by Scott Lobdell, and the art was done by Brett Booth. Last we saw a Flash Forward, Wally accepted his fate, sat in the Mobius chair, has the power of the Mobius chair, everybody else has sat in the Mobius chair, including Dr. Manhattan, as of Doomsday Clock. He also knows that he can absorb the knowledge of the universal 
little bit better than most of the other people that have sat in this chair thanks to his super speed. And again, he also mentions that he also has the power of this blue atomic god, which we mm. know is Dr. Manhattan. Is that why his outfit is kind of blue now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's okay. blue and it has the Dr. Manhattan <gasps> symbol on oh, it. Oh, I haven't seen head. that. I- I've just seen like the blue outfit and I think blue lightning and I'm like, what happened to Wally? Because it's a black and blue scheme. But, so then you also see this two-page spread of each crisis that has happened in DC continuity. You see Infinite Crisis, Parallax with Zero Hour, you see Flashpoint, you see Forever Evil, I'm guessing, when Owlman sat in the Mobius chair. I don't know, I never read New 52. I remember reading Forever Evil, and I don't really remember much of the Mobius chair. It could have... It could have been a small thing. I don't know. But Wally sees all this happening as he's getting all the knowledge in the universe absorbed into his head. And then he also watches as time fixes itself, which is what happened at the end of Doomsday Clock number 12, where Dr. Manhattan reintroduced the Justice Society. He reintroduced the Legion of Superheroes. But then he also notices that things aren't the same as he remembers them. And so he says how time and reality are not fixed, they're only adjusted. To understand this stuff, he tries to go to like some core memories, which I thought was really cool. And he sees how they're split. You see pre-Flashpoint and New 52 origins of when he first met Barry. And how they're completely different. One of them, he, Iris is bringing him right to Barry. The other one, he's holding baby Wallace in his arms. And he's like, how is this possible? Like, I remember both of these happening, but they're happening at the same time. And then Lobdell also brings back his retcon Teen Titans team, which I thought was so freaking hilarious basically compares it to he's like and this teen titans team having their origin at the same time as our teen titans team but neither of them having recollection of the other and then you also see just this cut of the pre-flashpoint flash family and the current flash family and just how different they are on the left side you have max mercury you have the female impulse his daughter iris on the right side you have wallace you have avery from the chinese justice league you have godspeed and then he's like how is this happening like how am i remembering both of these things at the same time and then he goes to tempest fuganaut and asks him did you know about this and he's like i can only protect time i can only view time as it is wally is the only one that can kind of see these split things so he takes tempest with him he's like we have to try and fix this and then it says it's going to be continued in may's free comic book day issue coming out called generation zero which is also going to be a leading point to the 5g initiative which is now being called generation five to stray away from the a TNT 5G thing. <laughs> and we finally actually have a name instead of that placeholder of 5G as well. Exactly. So. Well, I mean, that name was also in the Doomsday Clock when they oh, said Oh, okay. Earth 5G will be born in 2026. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It's still an abbreviation for Generation 5. Pretty so. much. All right, I'm just going to really quickly go over Strike Force issue 7. I know the last time I talked about Strike Force, I was confused and had no idea what was going on. Thank you, Teeny Howard, for finally getting back on track because the team is finally back to the main plot of uh, figuring out this whole issue with the Viridae, which are a shape shifting fungus people race from one of the nine realms. And they decided to go to Monster Island because. <laughs> I don't know. Deadpool. Because Deadpool? Question mark. And just so you know, V, Monster Island is Staten Island. Yep. Oh. Because it's a trash heap. Oh my gosh. You keep your racism to yourself. It's true. (laughs) Oh my goodness. 
But I think Monster Island thing came about after War of the Realms because a lot of realm stuff has just gotten all kinds of wonky. But due to plot convenience, the lady they're looking for just happens to be on this island and her name is Brigitte and she used to be like the nanny for Count Ophidian. She's just here. I don't know why. They don't explain why. She's just on this island. So most of this was just kind of advancing the plot forward. The, the character dialogue was mostly just kind of goofy little one-liners. There was a bar fight between Spider-Woman, uh, Winter Soldier, and Blade. I think I saw that actually a panel on Tumblr where Spider-Woman says, like, I think my guts just hit my brain and came out my butt. Yeah. I was like, her writing is so weird. Like, I don't what know much. What ab- was that? <laughs> I don't know much about her, to be honest. Like, I've never read anything with Spider-Woman. I am very confused about her writing, especially that line. And the bar fight was weird. I've just scrubbed it from my memory. I'm. It does make sense that a spider person would win because of enhanced senses and enhanced strength. But she's going up against Blade and Bucky. I mean, Blade's got the enhanced strength, too. Yeah, and she took both of them out. Oh, this is a Harley Quinn situation. And I'm like, okay, yay, woman power. Yes, awesome, cool beans, but was this necessary? Like, we could have actually seen more of a struggle out of her, but no, she just schooled both of them because they were just caught, like, off guard. And they're like, what are you doing? She just jump kicked straight into Bucky's face, and he's, like, knocked back, and he's like, what the heck? And it's like, lady, what are you doing? And she's like, they insulted my honor. They didn't bet on me. I'm just going to start fighting you guys to prove a point. Like, uh, okay. That's not the the Spider-Woman I remember. Yeah, that's the only really awkwardly written bits of this. I've kind of shoved that to the side. I I don't, but besides that weird bar fight, I actually enjoyed, there was a really sweet conversation between Angela and Ophidian. To summarize she's trying to kind of make him feel a little bit at ease with the group kind of but in the same way being Angela and being a little more like I don't care about it and letting him feel like okay you guys don't have anything against me but I clearly have some issues and he's plagued by a lot of guilt but he really cares for his people she understands how it is to feel kind of like out of place with humanity she's like I kind of get what you're going through but just kind of do you It's really hard to summarize that scene, but I think that was actually a really good, heartfelt, character-driven scene. And he just wants his people to have a home. But poor boy can't catch a break, because sadly, the touching character moment is ruined, because Blade decides to be a jerk and makes a deal with Brigitte to give her the count, give her Ophidian, because she's looking for him, in exchange for the safety of Monster Island citizens, because apparently Brigitte has been like, I've been here for weeks, and I've putting out weird Vridae spores all over the place, so this island's covered in it, and Blade's like, well, Wade's not going to be happy if he finds out about that. He's giving a sanctuary here. We need to make sure that the citizens of Monster Island are protected. I'm like, they're monsters, dude! Yeah, but this You're is a monster also slayer. Deadpool's argument, too. He's like, they're still like beings but, but still uh, really it, she's concept though is it, it it's really yeah. like blade would have been like i don't care they're monsters like we need to learn more about what's going on and the count will get us there he apparently is weirdly weak and they give him over to her Angela didn't like that, Billy didn't like that, and Damon didn't like that either. So Billy and Damon like are trying to hold this portal open that they jumped through. She's like, thank you, goodbye now, and just leaves with him. They follow suit through the portal, land right in the middle of a battle between two different groups. So that's going to be interesting. 
I'm actually happy we're finally getting back to the main reason we're having this story. Like, we're, we're trying to figure out kind of why they're trying to impersonate people, why they use these random ragtag bunch of people to steal some kind of virus, but it's still not getting anywhere. And Deadpool really was not necessary for the plot. I was like, why are you really focusing on him on the cover? I get it. It's Deadpool. He's gonna sell. But they they were funny. But at the same time, I didn't like how Teeny was writing him. He did not seem like Deadpool. Mm. There was some quips. There was some fourth wall breaks. But... She's the main writer for uh, Deadpool right now, too. Is she? Okay, well, that might have been why it could have been, once again, another self-promotion of other Marvel stuff. Mm. Please stop doing this. I'm liking his run, too, so that's that's pretty shocking to see. There there were some funny things overall, but I didn't see why he was necessary for this. Once again, self-promotion, like the last two issues of Strike Force, which is self-promotion for Ravencroft. Can you stop using a series run for just... Self-promotion. <coughs> Bendis, what? <laughs> that wasn't me. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. Muse was the dollar. <laughs> to the Joe demographic, I see. But that's Strike Force. I'm still holding out hope for it. I'm mostly re- reading it because Billy is in it, and I'm interested to see how that continues on. But now we'll hand it off to V so she can cover another Marvel title. Yes. Let's talk about how much we hate Deadpool. All right, so. (laughs) Another another anti-Deadpool. Awesome. I love Deadpool when he's written well. And Mm -hmm. he used to be written so well. Listen, Dugan could write some great Deadpool quips. And as long as he had those two competing voices in his head, he was hilarious. But then in recent years, he's been super bland, and he's just whoever anybody wants him to be. And he kind of just storms into the plot like a chaotic four-year-old. Kind of reminds me of that meme of that guy who was interviewing for, like, a a BBC correspondence, and his kid just starts marching around the background, super distracting. (laughs) That's Deadpool in most of these comics. So, like, I totally relate to your struggles, Muse. But let's talk about Jed McKay and uh, his penciler, Chris Anka. So, we're talking about Black Cat number 10. Last time we were there, they stole from a child death spot in Matripur. So I don't know a lot about Matripur, but yeah, a little kid stole a bunch of Wolverine stuff. Black Cat needs a painting that she was going to steal from Wolverine, but someone else stole from Wolverine first, so she has to help Wolverine get his stuff back so she can get his painting. I think last time there was like a literal cliffhanger as they jumped off of a building and were swinging by rope and were introduced to the scene by Black Cat sort of monologuing about the different types of capers. How you can have like the sour coffee and lukewarm whiskey with maps and plans and meticulous like ideas for a clockwork caper. Or you can do what she does, which is magic. And also (laughs) not planning ahead. So she kind of just uses her little grappling hook to pull them out to safety. She's got her legs wrapped around Wolverine's torso because she ain't no Spider-Man. She's like, (laughs) the strongest part of my body is my legs. So she's gripping him. She's drawn like the statuesque lady. Chris Anka does love his anime. And boy, does she look anime. But not in like a good anime, but like this person thinks the anime is like lips that look like a single line, eyes that change shape a lot, and uh, not a lot of nose, sometimes no nose, and it's just round. It's she's all about the round. eyes, really. She's, yeah. she's very oval. Mm-hmm. I just want to comment on Tiny Wolverine, because I know everyone thinks, oh, he's like six foot something because of Hugh Jackman. He's 5'3", guys. He's short. And with her heels, she's probably a good 5'10". Yeah. Actually, that's where they put uh, Catwoman, too. 
Yeah. Um, they're probably roughly the same height with the heels on. Mm-hmm. They definitely tried to emphasize how much taller she was by drawing. Yeah. And even like a lot of the upward shots kind of make her look even taller. So anyways, they're, they're falling with style when the cable snaps and she's like, You're so tiny, why are you so heavy? And he's like, because my bones are made of metal. And she's like, why is your cable stronger? And she's like, because my bones are made of bones. <laughs> and uh, he's like, don't worry, I'll make my own way. As he's like plummeting to the ground, which I thought was hilarious because uh, that's going to hurt. But he's fine with it. So she gets out her other grappling hook from her other sleeve and flies off. And from the glasses, she's getting screams from the child. We're like, put on the glasses. It felt very Damien, you know? It did. She's like, put the glasses on. She's like, no. And he's like, put them on. And she she gets there and there's Wolverine. And she's like, put these glasses on. He goes, no. (laughs) They'll probably melt my eyes off. And then she's she's talking to the glass. She's like, would they have melted my eyes off? And he's like, yes, they would have. He's just (laughs) threatening them with all these childish threats throughout. So they go off on this run. They're escaping through various means. They're on a boat. Deadpool shows up and he shoots Wolverine in the chest. And he's like, Again, what you were saying before was just, like, the walks in like the toddler because Wolverine comments on that. He's like, Wade, like, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, you know. We don't need to explain. We don't know what Deadpool's doing at any moment, but we needed a Deadpool, so there he is. Shows up on their boat, he shoots Wolverine in the chest, then he's about to shoot him in the head, and... Oh, no, 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 first they got chased by Frankensteins. Oh, that's right. There was a whole How fight. How we forget with, that? That was a big one. He gets chased yeah. by a whole herd of Frankensteins. They fight, and that's when Black Cat develops a Deadpool personality, and she starts jabbering mm-hmm. constantly. Like, people start chanting, like, Wolverine, Wolverine. She's like, Black Cat, Black Cat. And she's, like, being all silly and crazy, and she's having a great time being completely nonsensical with no regard for anything. And there are kind of these flashbacks to, like, when she was learning about close-up magic. And they do overemphasize, like, over-explain what close-up magic is. Like, we get it. You show one hand, but not the hand that's important. So she's trying to explain how to pull the easiest con in the books and we're like yeah okay she goes on this merry chase there's deadpool so she ends up like ramming a boat through him like he's ursula and the little mermaid (laughs) and then she put the glasses on him or actually wolverine told her to and they burn his eyes out and he's like can this get any worse and then yeah he said that right before she put the glasses on him then he goes can this get any worse right before like they aim a missile at him and yeah, oh gosh. yeah it's just not black cat but the the kid they're using the glasses as the tracking device so by putting them on deadpool they're getting the kid to pursue deadpool so that they can go get out of magic yeah, basically they've got like a secret way of getting out but they've actually already found where the kid is keeping the stuff and they've stolen it while he was distracted by these two flashy weirdos so Oh yeah, this black cat's henchmen. This black cat has henchmen, and they're sneaky thieves. Not like her. So there's that, having all these flashbacks to her learning thieving with this other girl. And so they're sh- she's saying stuff like, but they're not looking at the hand that matters. And actually, Anka drew a box around yeah, their hands. To really pinpoint so you, it. So just in case you didn't catch that they're holding hands, he drew a box around it. Just like, uh, look at those hands. Look at them. Marvel does i've been noticing in a bunch of different comics like i've noticed in a couple x-men titles i've noticed it really in deadpool i've noticed it in jessica jones because jessica jones is trying to show like that investigative like pi like focus well it was really 
like I thought there was like a really good subtle moment where like he steals these girls one of the girls watches and the other girl's bracelet but you barely see it on them you do see it on them but you barely see it because they don't try to you know shove it in your face they're just like Mm -hmm. look it's there if you go back and look at it but he steals them both and then you get to look at them and it kind of emphasizes the point of drawing your eyes away from it with their big expressions on their faces so I I don't know it it lent some of the best moments in the comic and some of the worst and I think that a lot of Black Cat's shenanigans throughout the whole story as she's running around like being chaotic saying really dumb commentary it felt very deadpoolish they were really trying to like dig in that fact that this was a what did she call it like a play on the back of the napkin yeah well yeah but like there was also like this weird she just took on this weird persona it was like a harley quinn sort of thing where she's Mm -hmm. just like i'm a dex and i love it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just like I don't, I don't i didn't know you were when we started but you mm-hmm. sure are that's you it slowly started devolving i realized yeah. compared to like the first issue of mm. this she's getting dumber this first issue that's was weird like very selena and now it's turning into like harley quinn and mm. who knows where she'll end up that's issue not 12, the black cat apparently she's gonna have an iron man outfit what is is she becoming like the new Gwenpool oh, or something? Not. Because I love Black Cat from like the 90s Spider-Man series. Like that was my classic Black Cat. That was where I got introduced to her. I was like, ooh, she's kind of like Catwoman, but a little different. Like there was definitely a difference between her and Catwoman, but they're both being able to use their feminine wiles to get what they want. They're both very driven women mm-hmm. and didn't matter who would get in their way. I love that about her character. And th- the way you're describing her here, I'm like, you could stick Gwenpool on this and it would work just as yeah. well. The, the stakes are not there. She falls, no. she knows she's going to get caught. There's definitely bimbo elements to her now where she's just kind of like, she gets bored so easily. And like, she's not really in it for anything except like rich person's boredom, you know? Or she's just, yeah. she's just kind of this idiot girl who fell into bad influences who are like, this is how you do this. And she's like, I know all these amazing skills because I was mentored by somebody who's better at life than me. But every time they flash back to her learning from them, she's rolling her eyes and like, this is boring. And, and then she still maintains that personality to the present day where she's just kind of like, mm-hmm. She walks into, like, the street with her eyes blindfolded, basically. She's that Mm -hmm. grandmother from Mulan. And it's just (laughs) every moment where she's just being kind of stupid. It's like she knows she's a main character in a comic and has plot armor. Like, I I have plot armor and I know it. It's very twee. It, It turns on itself very quickly. So I think, like, either she'll snap back the next issue or it'll just continue to devolve. Because I think it's trying to appeal to young girls in kind of the way that Gwenpool did. And so they're thinking, you know, if we go for the same sort of, like, I am just... I, I have no higher ability to think. I don't know. I don't know why that seems to be the way they market things to girls nowadays, but there are a lot of really dumb characters. And they're like, this is a feminine character. She's strong. Look at her trying to think. <sighs> Amazing. But no, she's really smart. And like the whole play was very smart. But the way it's set up is very dumb. <laughs> I think that says more about Jed McKay than it does about Black Cat, so there. So, that was Black Cat. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, another story that was seems to be a little... Hmm. Joe, do you want to oh, handle oh the God. next one? Hope you guys buckled your seats because we're going for a ride here. Oh, no, I hope it's a short one. In our favorite rock <laughs> ship, Madness! <laughs> oh, <laughs> gosh. So... We have Superman villains, number one, 
written by the Metropolis Society, Brian Michael Bendis, Matt Faction, and Jody Hauser. This is a continuation of the last one, which was Superman Heroes, which is another continuation of Superman number 18, where Clark Kent revealed to the world that he is Superman. And this is supposed to show the villain's point of view, how they're reacting to this news. And you barely saw it. Maybe five villains tops compared to like overall story, which mainly focused on Perry and Lois and Clark. So bad advertising right there. Also, this coincides with the after effects of Doomsday Clock. So Doomsday Clock, like I said earlier, Dr. Manhattan started putting back all the pieces that he had taken out to make New 52. So he put in the Justice Society, he put in the Legion of Superheroes. He also brought back Jonathan and Martha Kent. Oh. So now they're living on the farm, which is protected by Batcave technology. Clark explains to Martha and Jonathan because, you know, since Dr. Manhattan put them back, it's as if no time has passed, they've been alive this whole time, all that stuff. So Clark is flying to the Kent farm, <sighs> sees Jonathan and Martha kissing, and Clark goes, awkward, because, you know, this is Bendis trying to appeal to the Utes, where he probably wrote this line, and he's like, ha, see, kids? Even Superman thinks it's gross to see his parents kissing. Mm, it's just because people yell awkward every time he comes out of his house. He thinks that's what the youth are saying. He explains to Martha and Jonathan how they don't need to do anything. Batcave is monitoring them. But he makes it sound like they can't leave the farm. Like, are they under house arrest to keep them safe? Oh, no. Is this how this is going to work? Jonathan asks Clark, you, you know, how does, how does it feel? about revealing to the world who he is and Clark says that it feels right. There's this line where he's like, I haven't told you in a while, but thanks for catching me. Meaning like, you know, when he crash landed. I'm like, yeah, you haven't told him in a while. He was dead. <laughs> and then they talk about that for like another panel. And then the next one, Jonathan goes to Clark. He's like, now where the hell is my grandson? Uh, that's the question on everyone's mind. Where the heck is John? Well, your daughter gave him away to an evil despot, and it gets worse. <laughs> I'm interested to see, even if Venice writes it, I don't care. Venice needs to write, whenever John comes back, I need to see, like, Jonathan Kent freaking out, being like, that's my grandson? I know I've been dead for a while, but I didn't think he was that old. And then it's like, well, dad. And they'd be like, don't well dad me. And then it's like, oh, I'm gonna go find Jarrell and kill him. Like... <laughs> Because he would. He'd be like, I'm going to go give him a stern talking to for messing with my grandchild. Because he would. He'd be so pissed. He'd be like, why didn't you two do this? Anything. Why didn't they do anything? I don't know, Bendis. Wait till your father I think hears about this. <laughs> Muse, has ah! watched, Muse has definitely watched a little too much Man of Steel. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Grab the shotgun. Oh my gosh. No, it's that, Mr. Ken. <laughs> That's a Mr. Kent I've never known before. <laughs> I need to go rewatch Smallville and purge myself. Oh my gosh. But straying away from that horrific scene. <laughs> 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 oh 
<laughs> so it it cuts to the Daily Planet where Clark and Lois are talking to this woman, Marisol Leone. She is the current owner of the Daily Planet, and she's the leader of Metropolis's Invisible Mafia, which was another organization that Bendis created. And mm-hmm. it cuts into the middle of Clark saying that he wants to donate his salary to the Firefighters Association of Metropolis because... You know, he doesn't need money. He's Superman. He can live for free anywhere now. Uh Uh-huh. People will just give him food. And then Leon basically tells him, "Mm, how about the Daily Planet will make a bigger donation, not just Clark Kent slash Superman. And Lois basically says, like, what she's trying to tell you, Clark, is that the reporter's salary is so small she doesn't want to make you look bad. By oh. giving that check to the firefighters. <laughs> oh. So in the middle of all of this, Perry White just barges in. He's like, he never asked for a raise. He never asked for a raise. Like just randomly spouting this out. Like, Bernie? <laughs> Is this you? <laughs> also, that firefighters thing, all I could think of was people petitioning at Biden's rallies with like the the firefighter things and I'm like is this just getting overly political now like gosh I don't know but I had to type this up because it was just so freaking weird and I have so many questions so after that whole weird thing of Perry's like sputtering like a madman (laughs) there's more weird cuts to like when he heard that he wants to donate his salary and then Perry's like does he eat does he need money? And then Lois is like, you've seen him eat. It's like, I've seen him and Superman in the same room with a dog wearing a cape. I don't know what's real anymore. That's a good point, And Lois Perry. is like, welcome to my world. Oh my gosh. Perry says, you're married with a kid. You don't share the finances. And Lois goes, oh, like I have time for that. I'm- what don't you have time for, Lois? Your marriage? Your kid? The finances? What is it? What's the answer? Everything for you while you lie on the couch and eat bonbons? What's wrong with you? <laughs> no, she's she's spending her entire paycheck on staying in a hotel room Those cities away. <laughs> exactly. Writing her stupid novel just to make just spice up the bedroom times with Clark because apparently that's how you spice up a relationship. She's been having a meltdown for a long time and no one's addressing it. <laughs> that was just weird as hell. Again, what's the answer? Because of course we don't get the answer because it cuts to another panel. Is Ben just trying to like cause them to have a divorce? I think. Oh, you know he is. I mean, we've seen this coming since the moment she said that she wasn't going to live there. Yeah, and the but... fact that she freaked out and ran away from her son. And didn't tell her husband that she was back on Earth. <clears throat> Had a wig and everything every time she walked out the hotel. <sighs> but I digress. Even if they were divorced, she should have told him. But, yeah, so it cuts to this other panel where Clark is trying to explain to his co-workers. He's, he's like, I want things to be the same, but he doesn't know how to phrase it. And then Trish Q, the gossip columnist, is like, who here feels safer knowing that Superman sits at a desk across from them? And everybody raises their hands. Aww. And then Clark's like, okay, cool. And then Firefly goes to shoot up the Daily Planet. So he's outside, guns ready to blaze. And Superman's ripping open his shirt, Firefly sees this, and then he flies away. Why is Firefly doing that? That seems really out of character for him. Because they're trying to show villain perspectives. And Firefly's a Batman? Gotham villain. Gotham boy. Yeah. So, again, weird. And then 
Clark kind of looked disappointed. No. Did you want to have some fun, Clarky, and beat <laughs> for Firefly up? He's like, beat the human up? like, so Firefly flies away, and then Clark is like, <sighs> Alright, I'll go fly after him. Like, don't look so sad about it, Clark. He didn't want to mess with you. But first of all, it was stupid again on Firefly's part. Now that he knows that Clark Kent's Superman, and he's going to go to his place of work to go shoot it up. Anyways, why would he beat up the Daily Planet of all places? I don't know. Again, just Bendis putting things to try and make a point. So then, the weirdest part, it shows human Lex at LexCorp. Oh no, Bendis! <laughs> What's wrong with you? He's taking messages from his OTIS device, you know, Otis, his loyal, dumb companion, dressed up exactly like Otis was in the Christopher Reeve Superman movie with, with the tie and the, like, the round hat. My goodness. And basically, it's his, you know, like, Google Home, Lexa device, and he's like, how many messages do I have? And then it goes, 98 voice messages, Mr. Luthor. He's like, all right, let's start hearing them. And the first five messages are just an endless laughing voicemail from the Joker. And it causes Lex to go feral, and he just starts raging. He throws the Otis device out the window. He tears up the newspaper that says Superman is Clark Kent. He's breathing down, like, heavily, and then somebody walks in. They're like, Mr. Luther, are you okay? And then that's it. Oh, my gosh. Was he also, uh, like, talking to Alfred in the background? Then just know about anything in modern continuity? But it's so funny because in action comics, he's writing that whole Legion of Doom Hall of Justice fight oh with Apex Luther. So he knows. This is back to what I was saying during Superman 18 where no matter what Bendis needs to write Lex as a human because how else can he relate? It's just a self-censored <laughs> character. Ah, pretty much. And then it cuts to Toy Man giving up crime because Superman showed how honest he is and that the same way that he talks to Winslow shot is the same way that he spoke to the public about his identity showing that he does care. He is honest, so Toy Man goes to jail willingly. Yeah. And then the new uh, checkmate agent breaks him out. He's like, hey, we need you to go help us ruin Leviathan's shit. You down? Need you to make some funky stuff. Like, he's looking like a sleazeball with, like, that has the toothpick in his mouth and everything. Like, a long, like, weird ponytail trench coat outfit. Just weird. Part of a new checkmate that happened after Event Leviathan. The other weird part, more, like, Bendis writing, like, Toy Man's gonna take the job. He's like, but could you, could you do me, could you say, say the words? And he's like, what words? He's like, just say the words. And then the guy, he's like, Winslow shot, it saved the world time and you're needed. And then Toy Man, he's like, has this Bendis like fanboy moment. He's like, thank you, Superman. Uh, like, what? Oh, yeah. Because he's like, first he thanks Superman for, you know, showing him that he does care, which gave him the strength to turn himself in and now he's thanking superman for giving him this opportunity to save the world from leviathan like ah just poor writing it's really bad and then it cuts to mongol millions of planets away watching this news feed from earth of superman 
showing who he is and then mongols getting pissed he's like i have been being defeated by this god that tries to disguise himself as an insect you don't do that i'm mongol i killed my father who killed his father who killed his father when you have strength you show strength and then mongol's son behind him kills him he basically reiterates the same thing that mongol said he's like i'm mongol i killed my father mongol who killed his father mongol before him and i'm very excited to meet this superman okay then just so weird and And that's not gonna go anywhere no and then it cuts to the infected Kara, who once again is infected from the Batman Who Laughs, who is raging at Superman revealing his identity, and even says, he's like, after all the warnings, all the things that he has told me about revealing ourselves to others, this is what he does? Which is so funny, because in Superman 17, Clark purposely went to Kara and told her about his plan, and she was fully supportive of this decision. <laughs> But that was normal Kara, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe the infected bit of her is making her just not see reason. I don't know. That's the only thing can maybe, maybe think of. Maybe it could have like that Black Lantern ring uh, thing where it's like kind of like the inner thoughts coming out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But the end of the story, Lois and Clark go to Perry White about the gift that Lois had received from Lex Luthor, which basically proves that the woman that owns the daily planet marisol leone is also the leader of the invisible mafia and they ruin her reputation by exposing it to the public with the daily planet this issue had nothing to do with villains that's what i said it really has nothing to do with villains no i forgot what we were even talking about i thought we were reading an action <laughs> comic yeah it just reads like action or superman or whatever because i don't mm-hmm. know the difference between either one of them wow once again yeah once again it's so lovely I love this. I, I love Superman. I, I love what's happening. I'm okay. <laughs> we'll get through this. It's okay. I read Batman 90 afterward and I felt 10 times better. Good. That's why I always save my better comics for later. I cannot wait until he's gone. Mm-hmm. All right. One last story for this episode. So I got around to reading Strange Academy number one, which is written by Scotty Young. American Hogwarts. American Hogwarts. But at the same time, it's not because our main character is going to be this young girl named Emily Bright. Seems to have some powers over life and death. I read the preview to this and it definitely still feels like a very like teen Hogwartsy comic. But if it's for humans, right? It's It's not just humans. That's that's the part I'm confused about. It's like people of Earth, but meanwhile you have the pompous Asgardian that yep. is basically the Draco of the story. There's two of them. There's they're two brothers. They're from Asgard. You have a fairy from Otherworld who's really bubbly and bright. She's actually half human, half fairy. You have a frost giant and apparently the son of Dormammu. Just a small handful of otherworldly creatures and other humans with magic. So as the preview said, there's like this magical dimensional school in New Orleans. Anyone has read Magic U, which is it was a mini series done by DC like a couple years ago. It's kind of taking that concept and throwing it into the Marvel Universe and making the characters a little younger. Because I think Magic U was a little more young adult 
a little more adult because I think Zatanna was at least probably about 18. And these kids are definitely their middle school, younger high school age kids. Most of this issue was kind of this introducing our new cast of characters because there's so many new kids. Also, of course, introducing the teachers to the school. Nico Minoru as well. Loki's there for reasons unknown at this point. I don't know if he's actually a teacher. He's just there. It seems like it's just going to be interesting little stories to start out with, introducing these characters, but there's something underlying that's going to happen, but we didn't get any plot threads to that yet because there's so many kids. Like, probably my major issue right now is we have a ton of new characters, so it unfortunately could get very bloated. And a lot of characters could just be there to be there and never serve a purpose. You don't get any character development out of them. Which is why teams like the Teen Titans, even though they have a huge roster, and even with the Young Justice cartoon series, you have a huge roster of characters, but they're switching in and out of focus. Same thing with Shazam. But you only have those, like, couple of kids. So you keep it within there. You really don't branch out from there. This one has so many different characters, and they're brand new. Like, no one has any bases with any of these characters. Scotty's got a lot to deal with. The art's really cute. I enjoy the art. But one of the things that made me go, okay, it's going to be one of those stories is they introduce all the characters and they're about to start their first day of school and orientation. The plot just moves a little quickly. All of a sudden, they're introducing those teachers and they're like, well, where's Doctor Strange? This is a magic school and he's Sorcerer Supreme. And all of a sudden, he comes busting through a portal fighting this creature. And he's like, hey, kids, I'm Doctor Strange. You want to help me out? And they're all like, yeah, they fight the monster off. And he's like, awesome waves a death flag somewhere like he says something the kids go what and that's where it ends and i'm like uh could we have slowed the story down just a little bit or not spent at least five pages on emily's dumb letter to strange academy like we didn't need this unless she's gonna be the main focus and everyone else is just supporting background characters verdict's still out but i'm really hoping it's good because i like magic school stories so it's time for some comic news i'll be giving you new information involving comic books, movies, and television shows. So we have a little bit of DC news, if, Joe, you want to cover that? Yeah, Matt Reeves, the director for the new Robert Pattinson Batman film, just released yesterday three new exclusive photos of the Batmobile. And with that Batmobile, you also see Robert Pattinson in the full suit, because the last photo set, when we saw the suit on scene, it was a stunt double. So this time you're actually seeing Pattinson in the suit next to his muscle car souped up Batmobile, which originally, when they were coming out with information about this movie, that is how they described what this Batmobile is going to be. This is a year one Batman. He's not going to have like these crazy gadgets and all this stuff. It's basically like any young billionaire. He's going to go into like his garage of cars and he's going to pick out the one that he wants and then he's going to soup that one up to the max. This thing, it got described as if John Wick met Batman. This is what this car looks like. And then of course like you have some people that are good with Photoshop and putting Vin Diesel where Batman is standing because it just looks like a Fast and the Furious number 10 type of film. (laughs) But Mm. it does look good. It looks really good. I was so excited uh, to see this Batmobile. They're slowly starting to spew out more and more information with this film. So you can only think like they may have some type of teaser trailer for uh, San Diego Comic Con when that comes around. 
So, next week's comics. Joe, if you want to read out the DC ones. Sure. So, we have Aquaman Giant number three. We have Batman and the Outsiders number 11. Batman's Grave number six. I'm pretty sure that's the last issue for that series. I don't remember if that's a six issue or a 12 issue miniseries. Black Label, we have Dollhouse Family number 5. We have Catwoman 21, Flash number 751, because it's following the same trend as Wonder Woman, where they're resetting the numbers now. We have Grant Morrison's The Green Lantern Season 2, Issue 2, Hawkman 22, Ruby number 6, Superman 21, The Terrifics 26, and Wonder Woman 753. And Vera, if you want to read out Marvel Comics for next week. Sure thing. We're gonna get The Amazing Spider-Man number 41. Avengers 32, we're gonna get a new Cable series, so that's number one. We're gonna get Gwen Stacy number two, I like the cover art. The Immortal Hulk number 32, New Mutants number nine, Star Wars Bounty Hunters number one, Ooh. which should be fun. See, we also have Darth Vader number two, Symbiote Spider-Man Alien Reality number four, Thor number four, and there's gonna be a number 24 for Venom and number eight for X-Men. I'm so excited for Thor. You would be. And Alien Reality. Alien Reality is a really, really good series. I suggest it. It's in Elseworlds, pretty much. Nice. All right. So thank you guys for listening to this week's episode of the Court of Outlets podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Court of Outlets. Let us know which comics you want us to cover next week. And make sure to stay up to date with our latest episodes by subscribing to the podcast on Anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify, and wherever else you may listen to your podcasts.